Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Imagine if you could quickly build rapport and trust when you go in for a job interview or maybe on a sales call or even if you're just trying to get help from your IT department. Hello everyone, Kevin Cruz here and in just a minute, a former FBI counterintelligence agent is going to share five rules we can use to quickly build trust. But first, congratulations. I'm congratulating you because you believe in lifelong learning. You believe that to achieve more, you must become more. You believe that leadership is the key to making a difference. Whether you're listening during your morning commute or maybe on your morning run, you know that LeadX helps you to stand out and to get ahead. Please spread the word that the LeadX show is the smartest way to start your day. Today's one minute career tip is get a mentor. One of my biggest mistakes, one of my biggest mistakes of the last 30 years has been I haven't had enough mentors. I didn't have any mentors until I was 30 years old. Now, I read a lot of books, I took a lot of training, I had smart friends, but they can only take you so far. The single most powerful thing you can do to achieve your goals is to find someone who's had the career you're striving for, someone who's already achieved what you want, and then get them to mentor you. This is part of the reason why that Silicon Valley startup ecosystem is so powerful. You're not just getting the money from the venture capitalists, you're getting them to join your board. They're gonna tell you how you should structure your sales force. They're gonna tell you how many customer service reps you need to hire for every million in revenue. They're gonna tell you how to save money. They're gonna introduce you to people who can run your marketing department and your sales department. Find someone who's 10 to 20 years further down the road, then convince them to be your mentor. Now, our guest today is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, a former U.S. Marine Corps officer, and a 20-year veteran of the FBI. In fact, he advanced into the Bureau to lead the Counterintelligence Division's Behavioral Analysis Program. His new book is The Code of Trust, an American Counterintelligence Expert's Five Rules to Lead and Succeed. Our guest today is Robin Dreek. Robin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Kevin. It's happy to be here. Um, thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And I always ask our guests the same first question. I'm hoping you'll share a time when you failed, maybe early in your career. And what did you learn from it? Because I and my listeners, we all want to learn from uh, from your failure, too. Sure. Um, it's, it's funny, since most of us have had numerous careers, I could pick a half dozen of times, if not even more. Um, but really, you know, when I was contemplate this question pretty frequently, because we all grow from those moments of, uh, I call them humbling moments. Right. Um, probably one of the earliest ones in my time with the FBI was um, probably a couple years in. And I'm a, I'm a very people-oriented, outgoing guy anyway, so I naturally have uh, an ability to communicate and talk with people, and I enjoy it. Um, but what I didn't take into account early in my career was that a lot of people communicate a lot differently than I do. In other words, I'm a very people-oriented, direct individual, so I'm all about socialization, anecdotes, stories, and exchange uh, of just fun times and, and, uh, and information. 
And so I, I generally was approaching every individual that I had to talk to on the course of my job the same way, you know, happy, go lucky, uh, talking about sports and baseball and kind of enjoying working in New York City. And I'd say 99.9% of the time uh, I was hitting on all cylinders and it was going really well. But I remember this this one in particular instance where um, it was an individual that was working. Uh, he was a Ph.D. candidate at a university in, in uh, New York. And it was a hard science kind of guy. So it was very technical in nature. And he was really, without me realizing it, because I was so focused on myself rather than him, he was really a rules, process, and procedures guy. Dot the I's, cross the T. Um, and he really he was very willing to help out and give a hand. But he really wanted specifics at our first engagement, our first encounter together where we were uh, sharing a cup of coffee. And I remember saying to him, you know, kind of being very vague, ah, now nah, we'll get to that eventually, you know, but hey, what about the Yankees? What do you think about them? And, you know, hey, where can we go out to eat next time? So I was so focused on the social aspect of interacting that I wasn't really paying attention to how he preferred to have the information delivered to him. In other words, I was being very um, subjective um, with my content and uh, and he wanted very objective kind of um, goals and measures that we were going to do together. And since I didn't give him what he was wanting in a way he wanted it, um, I thought it went fine. But when I went to go call him back a couple days later, uh, no answer on the phone. I said, huh, that's interesting. I sent him an email. No answer again. <laughs> so I did what every jilted, uh, you know, first date does. They switch cell phones so they can't uh, see the caller <laughs> IT. And he immediately picked up the phone on the, when I switched cell phones. And I and he goes, hey. Uh, and I go, hey, uh, so-and-so, how are you doing? He goes, fine. I go, hey, so when are we going to get together again? He goes, you know, Robin, I just don't think it's going to work out. You really don't seem to have a clear understanding of what you want, and I really don't have time to waste. But thanks, thanks anyway, and good luck. That happened, oh, hell, now I think it's like 15, 17 years ago. Mm. But it stuck with me, obviously, to this day, because what I failed to realize, I was making it all about me and not all about him. You know, we all, we all do this every day. You know, every time someone's getting ready to send an email, you, you type out the email of exactly what it is you want to say and what you want to do. And before you hit send, you think about who it's going to, and you kind of tinker with it a little bit, a little craft it a little bit. And you're really crafting it according to them. Um, and the more you can do that and understand how someone wants that information delivered to them in a way that their brain can recognize it more easily, um, that's what they're looking for. And I failed to do it back then, and I never forgot it. Robin, that, this is a great, uh, great story. I appreciate you sharing that. I like the way you, you talk about humbling moments. and. Yeah. You know, it, it sparked memories that I have. We're we're basically the same age. I just turned uh, fifty in May, and congratulations, <laughs> made it. Um, and, and you know, I can remember. So I think I'm I'm the opposite of you. I'm an introvert. I'm I'm a very analytical. I'm a driver kind of guy. And so, like in my twenties, being again just in my own mindset, I would just communicate the way to my own preferred style. And it yes. took a long time, a lot of failures at team building before someone grabbed me and said, Kevin, you know, you come off like you don't care. You come off without emotion. You come off, you know, like, is it going to kill you to ask about my, my family every now and then? <laughs> and uh, it really was a hard lesson. But as you said, once you understand that there are different communication styles and you have great material in your book about, you know, communication style inventories mm -hmm. and how to understand that, that yep. little switch of now communicating. So, you know, with the intent to be heard, to be understood rather than just what comes natural, it's right. like magic. It really changes the conversation. Yeah, it's it's the first step. And it was actually my very first step in understanding how not to make it all about me. And, and so this this let's dive you know right into the book, The Code of Trust. And mm -hmm. 
it's a great book and in this short format, like I can't tell all the great stories that you tell about, you know, lessons learned in, in law enforcement, but give us some of it. You know, you, you learned the right and wrong ways to approach sources, to, to win the trust of, of foreign agents, to get information, you know, tell us a little bit about this operational experience that has now informed your approach to leadership. Um, it, it's been a long journey, um, and it's been a journey that was, you know, kind of forced on me because it was my job to do. And because, you know, as, as you're saying, you know, when you look at my backgrounds, you know, uh, Naval Academy, Marine Corps, FBI, it's kind of that type A hard charger. And what, what I was, what my mission was and my job in the FBI has been to do is work counterintelligence and, and ultimately to understand what that is in really easy terms, it's the ultimate sales job. <laughs> and what I mean is, um, I, there's no reason why any individual, whether, you know, they're a foreign spy or someone the foreign spy is talking to should want to have a conversation with me because 99.99% of the time, no one's doing anything illegal, but they're comp you know, potentially compromising U.S. national security. And so it'd be good to know what everyone's talking about. Um, and so when you take that hard charge and type A approach, uh, you know, where you, you know, just a fax, ma'am, you know, from a, you know, from a dragnet kind of show, it doesn't go anywhere because what you're doing is you're talking in terms of what's important to you and not what's important to the other person. And so luckily for me, I had a, I was surrounded by some really great senior uh, folks that had the art form down. They had the subjective art form of how to create strong, trusting relationships with people down. Um, I think most of them were natural born leaders at doing it. And so I got better at it through on the job training and learning and just observing the behaviors. But really, it started really coming together for me when people started asking me to write and teach about it. Because then I was forced to sit down and make this art form a paint by number. You know, what was, you know, what was my Jedi master, you know, Jesse Thorne in the book and his real name is John. What was he actually doing uh, when he was doing these things? So I actually had to take that subjective art form that just came so natural to him and make it a very cognitive, thoughtful process. And as soon as I took a step back from that and and actually gave things titles and meanings, I, I call it the new the new car effect. You know, the day we buy a car, you can't stop seeing it everywhere. <laughs> right. And so because and you don't even have to try. And so when you start giving all these behaviors meaning, you start seeing it absolutely everywhere. And what I really learned uh, was that matter of fact, the, the, the funniest thing that was so crazy to me in New York still was the people I was working with, my my confidential human sources, we call them. They liked me better than anyone else in my life. Everyone else kind of thought I was an overbearing, <laughs> you know, too focused idiot. And so, and I, and, and years later, you know, when I started teaching and I, you know, and always being reflective, you know, thinking about these humbling moments, I was thinking, well, why was that? Well, and here's why it's very simple. And, and people that are in sales do the same thing. When, when, when someone's relationship means so much and you're doing your best, what are you not doing? You're not talking about yourself. You're not judging them. You're not arguing their point of view on anything. All you're doing is you're seeking to understand their priorities, uh, what their needs, wants, dreams, aspirations are. You're talking in terms of what resources you have for them to achieve those priorities, and then you're empowering them with choice as to whether to move forward together or not. Um, and you're seeking their thoughts and opinions to demonstrate value. You know, when you're doing those very, very simple things, you know, that you can make every single statement about the other person and not about yourself, uh, it, it becomes very, very profound. And so because it was my job to sell the concept that helping the United States was a really great idea and all I had to give them was me uh, in a relationship, I had to make that relationship as best as I possibly could so they actually would want to see me again. 
Um, and it translates into everything else in life, you know, from that point forward. So Robin, let me ask a clarification question because I, you're right. Like all of this, uh, does apply, you know, to, to everyday life, which, which is what I want to focus on next. But when you talk about doing your counterintelligence work and, you know, fighting foreign spies and and things, you you said 99% of the time they're not doing anything illegal. Yeah. What are they doing? Are they just collecting information that's valuable, but from, you know, public sources, legal sources? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, what, what anyone tries to do and the companies do the same thing, you know, companies that are trying to, you know, get an edge against another company, a competitor, they're trying to understand what they're doing and they're trying to source it to someone who's in a position to know. And so that's what it is, you know, when you work, you know, encounter whether it's it's counter corporate espionage or, or foreign espionage, it's all exactly the same thing. People are trying to get information and and source it to individuals that are in a position to validate it. You know, it's one thing if you read something in a newspaper and they and which is fine. But if actually if you read something in a newspaper and you heard from the president of the company that indeed that's true or not true, well, now it's valuable. And so if you're approaching, say, uh, let's say just a source for, for information for yourself, as you said, you, you need to, you, you're hoping they will help you to understand, to give you information. How long are you assuming that you're going to build rapport and trust in a single one hour meeting, a lunch, a dinner and get information at that time? Or are you going to, is your arc, your time frame, like, Hey, let me work on this relationship for a year. And then maybe they'll start to give me something useful. Um, it's not up to me. It's up to them. You know, the thing I do in every first encounter, uh, and with everyone homework and play is I'm completely honest And you have to answer three questions right away. Who I am, what I want, and what I'm leaving. Mm. And I have to talk in terms of their priorities, of what's important to them personally and professionally. If I don't know what those things are, that's the first thing I'm going to find out. And I apologize for not knowing them ahead of time, too. It's like if you can't do enough due diligence and research uh, on someone or someone's company that they're working for representing um, before you get together with them, then I admit it right off the get-go. And then we start talking in terms of that. And then I talk in terms of the resources I have. And then the final thing I'm going to do, I'm going to empower them with choice about getting together again or having more open dialogue about whether we can overlap what's important to both of us. Now, the timing, that's up to them because that's what the empowerment with choice is. When you empower someone with choice, you're saying you value their time and you value their opinions and that you're not trying to press them. Because if you're trying to press, you start teetering on the edge of manipulation and people pick up on it rapidly. And you want to start ending trust immediately, try to manipulate or convince someone of something. And, and this is the real key here. The, 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 the big switch in everything I do is I started realizing one day that you cannot convince anyone of anything. Mm. Rather, the way to think about it is stop trying to convince people of things. Start thinking in terms of how can I inspire them to want to. Because when you're thinking of inspiring people for action, when you inspire people to buy a product, when you inspire someone to listen to you, you're thinking in terms of them and not yourself. And and the only way you can inspire someone to do anything is talk in terms of them. This is great. And, and you know, LeadX listeners, I'm sure you're picking up on this. You know, what Robin says, obviously what, what Robin's career has been is very different than what most of us do. And yet the principles are the same, whether we're exactly the same going into a first sales call or it's a longer term strategic relationship, whether we're a new employee and we're trying to, to build trust with our boss, with our peers, whether it's a partnership. People can smell the manipulation and the insincerity and everything's Robin's talking about is in coming from an industry of what, you know, civilians think of as cloak and dagger. And yet you're talking about results 
through transparency from the start, from the very start. Absolutely. Matter of fact, Kevin, there is a company I work a lot with private companies, a lot of financial companies. And I remember um, not too long ago, I was working with this one company and one of the sales guys there had a great question, very similar to what you're talking about, which is why it popped in my mind. He said, he said, well, what do you do when you have someone that you've been grooming, you know, with, as a potential client for like a year or two? Every mm. time I'm in town, I give him a call. I take him out to dinner. You know, we get to know about each other's families and everything. And yet he seems like he's interested, but he's just not pulling the trigger. When do I pull plugs? what do I do in that situation? I said, well, that's easy. You make it about him. Mm -hmm. The next time you get together, tell him that, hey, I really apologize because it looks like over the last couple, you know, year or two that you were really interested in what I had to sell and what we had to talk about as a resource that can help you further where you're trying to go. Was I wrong in that assessment? Because if I am, I really apologize for wasting your time. If I wasn't wrong and you are interested, how can we move forward to, so that it can be prosperous for you? In other words, have a conversation about his behavior and it was your fault if you misread something. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, putting it putting it right there on on the table. Yeah, because that's honesty. Because you know, honesty is the most important thing when doing all this. Now, Robin, in your book, you you lay out you know in really practical terms, you know, your five principles of trust. And on this short format uh, show, we we can't go deep into all of them. But can you summarize them for us? Sure. Um, first one that overarches everything is really suspend your own ego. You're, I, I always say the code of trust is flawless. It really is flawless because it, it is all about the other person. But the one thing that's going to undermine it is your own ego. Basically, and what happens with your ego and vanity, uh, what, what's in our heart is, is generally pretty good. What we want to do on behalf of others and for others, you know, what in any kind of thing. But what happens is our, our ego and vanity override our mouth and what's coming out of it. Mm. And so um, that's that's one key thing. Being nonjudgmental is the next one. Um, you want to start off a, any kind of relationship and end it immediately. Start judging what's coming out of their mouth. Start judging their behavior. Start judging their actions, their choices. Uh, I guarantee you shields will be up, you know, and they will not want to engage you. Third is on a reason. Um, this is my cognitive thought process. And, and I, I throw this in here because basically if you're in sales or you're in any kind of position, you're in a leadership position. And in order to be an effective leader, you have to maintain uh, a, a you know objectiveness to this. The code of trust is extremely empathetic because you are seeking to understand others. You're seeking to understand their priorities and you're validating them, understanding them. But in order to maintain objectivity, you have to honor reason. And honor reason, you know, maintains, you know, your goal setting, your means goals, your ends goals. And I go into that in more depth later. Um, but it helps you maintain this cognitive thought process. Validation others is uh, the next step. And validation, it, I, sometimes people question me on what actually validation is. And it's, it's not saying I agree with you. It's saying I understand you. Right. So validation is seeking to understand others. And finally is being generous. You know, being generous, it, it, it goes back to ancient tribal man. You know, when, you know, when we were tribal in nature and 30 or 40, 50 people on a tribe, as if only, only means of survival is become part of a collective. And being generous on a tribe meant your survival, you know. Five or ten guys go out on a hunt. One guy makes a kill. He comes back. If he doesn't share and was generous with others, if he gets sick, lame, or injured later on, he won't survive. And so being generous with your time, being generous with your resources, and this is really key, don't keep a scorecard. You know, leaders do not keep a scorecard. They're generous with their time and their ability to be an available resource to the prosperity of others, but they don't keep a scorecard. They just, they just manage your expectations on reciprocity. So those are the five right there in a nutshell. Love it. So 
Robin, we've come to almost the end of our time, but before we wrap up, I always like to challenge our listeners to get, you know, just a little bit better every single day. So I want you to challenge us, you know, like what's something specific we can do today to gain the trust of those around us? You know, it's funny. There, there, there's, I'm going to give you two things. Okay. One's a, a little more challenging. Um, seek someone's greatness. Seek to understand what makes that person great. People spend most of their time trying to figure out what people's doing, people are doing wrong, but seek their greatness because once you understand that and you start out a conversation validating that in some way, it's going to go a long way. But I'd say overarching wise, uh, where you can really make a great advances with those around you with trust is always try to figure out what's important to them, their priorities, their needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations, both personal and professional, and whatever challenges they're facing. Because when you take time to do that, you're you're making every single thing you're talking about about them. And now you know how to communicate with them. Because once you know those things, it bec- you've given yourself that new car effect on what's important to them. And now you're going to be talking in terms of those things with the resources you have to offer. So that's what I would say to do. Seek to understand someone's priorities. That's great. Seek to understand someone's priorities. Now, LeadX listeners, I want to end with something that I found when I was doing research for for this interview. Back in 2009, Robin wrote an article for the FBI Law Enforcement Bulletin, and great article. And there there was a piece that jumped out because it just represented so much of what we we believe here at LeadX. Uh, Robin wrote, in today's high-speed technical world with ever-pressing demands on time, the thoughtful process of relationship development and leadership can sometimes fall by the wayside. The ultimate key to human interaction, both professionally and personally, comes down to interpersonal skills. Robin, thank you for bringing that powerful reminder to the show, a powerful reminder about the importance of trust. And uh, tell us, uh, you know, how can our listeners, how can we learn more about you and your work? Oh, sure. Um, great. And thanks, Kevin. It was a great sharing with you all today. Uh, it's really simple. If you go to my website, which is www.peopleformula.com, all one word, peopleformula.com, um, you got lots of links on there um, to different media events I've done, whether it's a keynote speech or the books I have, um, my first one and my second one coming out. And also, you can contact me through the website as well. Um, I get inundated quite frequently, but I always enjoy um, – I, there's nothing more I enjoy more in the world than uh, strategizing um, trust because it is it's the best thing in the world to do for me. So there you go. That's it. Pretty simple. That is great. Friends, you've just been mentored by Robin Drake. Don't forget, you can get the links he just mentioned and the notes from this interview over at leadx.org. You can also download our free ebook, Richard Branson's Seven Secrets to Leadership at leadx.org forward slash Branson. Until next time, remember, leadership is not a choice because it isn't about authority. It's about influence. And you influence people when you speak up and take action, but also when you choose to be silent, when you choose to be a bystander. We are all leaders. How will you lead today? 